Hello everyone! Before we begin this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films, we wanted to remind you about our contest going on right now. We have three exclusive advanced reader edition copies, the paperbacks from San Diego Comic Con, of Star Wars A New Dawn by John Jackson Miller that we are giving away. To enter, send an email to swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com, put A New Dawn in the subject line, and put your mailing address in case you win inside the body of the email. We'll be announcing the date that we'll be drawing the winners sometime in the near future. But for now, just get those entries in. One entry will get you in there for a possibility of any of the three copies. No multiple entries necessary. Now, on with the show. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official Expanded Universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the Force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 140 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, and your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website's Second Airborne Division at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as Stitcher, and right on our own Facebook and Twitter pages at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herlman, and with me like the Hydra Spanner in every season smuggler's toolkit, the EU guru himself, the count of those two continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. Hey, everybody. And yes, yes, two continuities. It is now. I am uh, happy to announce that as of the time you're listening to this episode, which presumably is more than a couple of days from the time we're recording this, uh, the 2014 edition of the Star Wars Timeline Gold is now available with a brand new document included with the others, the Story Group Canon Timeline. So finally one that's chronicling this new continuity being built around the films, the Clone Wars, the upcoming films, uh, Rebels, A New Dawn, and so on, and so on, and so on out there. So you can find that, as always, over at StarWarsFanWorks.com slash timeline. You can also follow the project on Facebook, uh, just like we are, SW Beyond Films, after the Facebook.com and the slash. That one is SW Timeline Gold after Facebook.com and the slash on there. Uh, you can also find a sort of reposting or retweeting of most of the stuff I put on Facebook on uh, Twitter at SWFanWorks, but I'll be honest, that is usually just the retweeting thing. Most of the interactions with the fan community around the Timeline Gold tends to be on Facebook at this point. But a new one's finally out! Thank goodness I can breathe and rest and stuff for a while. <laughs> yeah, we've moved into that new era, uh, you know, I gotta admit, just holding on to these little books that we've got has been fun. Uh, moving forward into two continuities has been interesting when it comes to the fan reactions. Uh, you know, I myself, I've really been playing up that whole bipolar fan because, man, I am. I'm all over the place when it comes to the idea of walking away from Legends and moving into a new canon. The possibility of all the new stuff with canon. You know, the chaos of what's going on with Dark Horse Comics being printed under the Marvel banner. You know, we've got the Old Republic MMO game is still going on. Probably the only aspect of Legends still continuing. Like, there's still so little answers coming from StarWars.com. <laughs> well, it's funny because, I mean, we had, with the whole 
Marvel thing. Um, we had, I believe it was Randy Stradley at one point when we were asking, or we as in fans, not us in particular, but when fans were asking about the possibility of reprints of Dark Horse material under Marvel, the way that Marvel stuff was reprinted under Dark Horse, his explanation, I believe it was Stradley, it was one of the editors, said that it was unlikely because it would mean that Marvel would essentially have to buy the original artwork files from Dark Horse because something about their contract made it so that those belong to Dark Horse. Only now they're saying what instead is really kind of par for the course, which is the opposite, which is, oh, well, Lucasfilm owns all of it anyway, so they can reprint it however they want over at Marvel. And, of course, doing that doesn't wind up for those who are like, oh, so the authors get paid again. No, no, not generally. I mean, they're all owned by Lucasfilm. You get paid as sort of the work-for-hire thing, but royalties in general don't grow very fast, and they're apparently not attached to these, or they don't seem like they will be attached much, if at all, to these. So uh, anybody who's expecting you know, this to be some big money-making venture for the, the writers who worked for Dark Horse, it is very unlikely to happen. Uh, heck, when they took my comic and made it into a comic pack back in 2009, I didn't see a cent, and I had to find out about the comic pack the same way everybody else did. I believe it was in Star Wars Insider. Um, but it, it's, it's interesting. Now we're going to wind up seeing a Legends banner on some new collections of the Marvel series and of some old Dark Horse stuff through Marvel, although the fact that they're starting the, the Dark Horse reprints with one that includes issues of Dark Times, I think is probably not the best way to go. Let's start with the crap. <laughs> yeah, I, I Randy wrote on uh, the Dark Horse forums, uh, just as the contracts for the original Star Wars series was between the creators and Marvel, Dark Horse's contracts have been between the creators and Dark Horse. When the license for Star Wars moves from one publishing company to another, the royalty change for those works is broken. Lucasfilm owns the material, so when we publish Marvel's works, the material came to us royalty-free. Now, when our stories are published by Marvel, Marvel is under no contractual obligation to pay Dark Horse creators or Dark Horse a royalty. It is likely, if not certain, that neither Dark Horse nor any of our creators will ever see anything from Marvel's reprinting of the work. Which, you know, I mean, yeah, I, mean, I remember hearing the same thing where, where you know... It, the fandom side of things was, well, wow, Marvel's going to have to throw down a pretty penny if they want all those comics. And now it's like, oh, you get them all. Which, you know, that was one of the things that got me going was like, well, how, how come that works with comics and books but not with films? Like, um, you know, how come Fox didn't get hosed somehow and, and we're able to see the, you know, the theatrical versions of the films on Blu-ray? Like, I know there's like this whole other side of that. And it just doesn't make sense how, depending on the medium – what you can do in one, you can't do in the other. I mean, it's just it just boggles my mind how that aspect of the world works. And I, I think to a degree, there's a part of me that's happy with the fact that I don't know that much about it because I think that, that, that there's a part of America that really likes to hose people over through all that contractual BS. <laughs> like there's a part of me that just viscerally wants nothing to do with it. But then there are moments like this where I'm like, oh, hey, there's a loophole. And we're going to get more Dark Horse comics through Marvel. I think I'm okay with that. Like, I, I was talking to my comic book guy, you know, down here, and he, and he was his biggest upsetness about the whole moving to Marvel was for us, you know, we live in Oregon. Well, Milwaukee is where Dark Horse is based out of. So every Star Wars comic, we were putting money back into the state of Oregon. Now that's not happening. So now it's like, well, now we're just watching our money go to another state. <laughs> you know? and, and I was getting where he was coming from with that. I was like, okay, yeah, you know, I mean. And I think, you know, for, for us as being part of this fandom, there's so many points of views on, on so many different topics and stuff like that. You know, it, it's just interesting to see where people lie and where they draw a line as to what they enjoy and what they don't enjoy and what irks them and what doesn't irk them. I mean, 
for me, the whole you know Dark Horse stuff being printed on the Marvel banner, I, I just see that as a win. I, the big negative there is that the Dark Horse people aren't going to see any of their money for it. But I, I think for most people that were working in Star Wars in the first place, they were okay with that going in, knowing that, you know, hey, my name's attached to it, whether I'm going to get any money with it or not. I think the people in the comic industry and the book industry get a little more in that regard because they're working for those companies so they get to see the royalties. So, you know, like how with you, Nathan, you're the perfect example. I mean, how much, if anything, did you see for, you know, when you did your comic? You're talking royalties after the fact, not a zip zero zilch. Um, they, they essentially, at least in my case, it was a pay by the page thing. So you got a certain amount of money. Um, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to disclose, but a certain amount of money for each page worth of material as far as uh, comic pages. So in my case, it was what, 14 pages or whatever it was. Um, so it was here's, you know, the amount per page. And that is a combination of paper page, but also a percentage of expected royalties initially, blah, 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 blah. And if it gets to a certain amount, it can provide more. But it's one of those things where, I mean, the, the contracts are set up in such a way that they're designed so that in theory, unless something is a huge seller, they should mostly be just paying you, you know, the one time and not having to turn around again and again and again. Because as a business model, that just means that the more stuff you put out, the harder it is for you to stay financially afloat as a company. Uh, if you're constantly paying that kind of thing out, unless everything winds up being a big seller. Uh, my concern with, with Dark Horse is just where they go without Star Wars, but that's kind of a whole nother thing. Uh, put it this way, if it were not for, uh, well, I guess I'm probably not the best example. As I say, if, it, if not for The Strain, um, which I really only picked up because of the TV show, I can't think of the last thing I got from Dark Horse. I mean, maybe it was old Serenity stuff, but yep. I still haven't Poppy picked up a Serenity. couple of those. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. Then again, I, the only stuff I really read at this point anymore tends to be the new uh, IDW Transformers stuff, uh, Walking Dead, Injustice Gods Among Us, and Star Wars. So I'm probably not the best uh, uh, person to check. My comic reading habits have narrowed significantly over the years. Um, <laughs> speaking of comic reading, I, I, I did want to throw out a, a, a point of possible discussion for a later episode here. In our first feedback episode, right before we got into the feedback, which is what we're doing today, just kind of chatting beforehand, um, we talked about what Mark brought up about uh, how in the last issue of Darth Maul's Son of Dathomir, we really ought to see Obi-Wan do something dealing with Maul to bring some closure to the character arc for those two guys. Um, yeah, uh, minor spoiler for Darth Maul's Son of Dathomir number four, the Jedi don't even show up in the issue. So apparently that speculation was all completely pointless. We were we were wow. recording right before the issue came out and now we're recording right after the issue came out and boy was any inclusion of Obi-Wan wrong. Yeah. Uh, let's just throw him in the opening scrawl that you're only going to get in the singles. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Wow. That was that was a crazy letdown for me. I, I think that really drove me nuts. In fact, so much to the point where I was like, can we just call that just story group canon? Can it like just not even be considered as a legend story? I don't want to have to to adjust legends anymore. I'm done with adjusting and retconning it. Let's just no. Let's draw a line. <laughs> no, I mean we already knew that that Maul was out there. If they hadn't told that story, in which we we thought we might get some kind of conclusion to Maul in some respects, uh, uh, then he, the idea would have been he'd be out there and everything. I mean, it was already kind of shifting anyway. Just him coming back was shifting the continuity. But I find it it definitely lends itself to the idea that each issue was essentially what would have been one episode of the Clone Wars cartoon 
because in the cartoon a lot of times when they do episodes of an arc, they will tend to sometimes close off characters and situations from one episode and not necessarily carry them over into the next, even if the broader storyline carries out across the episodes and such. So it makes sense, but as a comic series, it feels very abrupt that the Jedi essentially disappear as of the end of issue number three, but uh, such is the nature of these types of things. Well, it also kind of felt like they used Maul to kind of further the story and only tell Talzin. I mean, I felt like it was Talzin's story, that Maul was only there to kind of move forward. Like, like we're going to get, like, another Maul story. That's kind of what I'm feeling, because it seems like, okay, yeah, we had all this stuff planned out from episode or season six and moving forward, and we had all these great ideas plotted, but they didn't make it. So now we're going to give you this one. Maul is definitely not, I mean, he was the center character, but it wasn't really his story. There was no satisfactory conclusion for that character, which totally leaves you feeling like they're going to use that as like a stepping stool to tell a better story for him. At least I'm hoping. But again, you know, I mean, look how my last hope turned out, you know. Well, Sith Lords are a specialty. BS, Kenobi! BS! You're back to lying, Kenobi! (laughs) Yeah, then again, though, I mean, who knows, because we're being told in... I guess it was, what, cover text that was translated or something? Um, solicitation text that was translated from another language, I think it was German, for that uh, Asajj Ventress and Quinlan Voss novel based on some unproduced Clone Wars scripts, um, that that was supposed to be the final story that is going to do that. Or at least it certainly seems as though... It, it's hard to tell if they were trying to say that it was what was going to be the last story produced of the Clone Wars that was written chronologically, therefore it's the last one of those. Or if it literally means this is the last time we're going to use old Clone Wars scripts to make a story because, yeah, we're done with that. But it certainly seems as though the possibilities of expansion of old Clone Wars stories that were unproduced into something else is kind of by the wayside now that they're shifting their focus towards you know the sequel trilogy and towards... Uh, what we've got coming with Rebels here in uh, about a month. Ah, the things we ponder. Well, here at Stars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we turn to you listeners and address your emails and ponders. So consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. Right, we've got, I want to say, uh, nine this time, if you count two from one person as one as opposed to two. We start with one from Jake Frost Townsend from the Fools That Follow podcast about rebooting the original trilogy. In fact, his subject line is, rebooting the OT. Bear with me. We will, I think. Says, hey guys, I was having a conversation with a co-worker today when he asked me when I thought a feasible time frame would be to reboot the original trilogy. Initially, my reaction was to scream, BE GONE, SATAN! But then I actually started to ponder it. His argument was that with the newer generations getting introduced to Star Wars through the Clone Wars and the upcoming Rebels and sequel trilogy, how long will it be before future generations view the original trilogy as too dated to be relevant? In our generation, and perhaps even our kids' generation, I'm 31 years old to give some perspective, 
I believe the original trilogy will still be a viable beginning of the franchise and still be relevant. However, in 30 more years, when our kids are showing our grandchildren Star Wars, because if you're a good parent, this is a foregone conclusion, I actually do think that considerations could be made to remake the original trilogy. If not with our grandchildren, then most definitely with our great-grandchildren. As much as it would pain me to see the story retold, and even more pain to see changes made to the core story, I think it is a very real possibility to see this happen in our lifetimes. Maybe when we're much older and cursing the names of the would-be directors from our rocking chairs on our front porches and spilling iced tea all over our depends, but still in our lifetimes nonetheless. So this leaves me with my questions for you guys. How much of a possibility do you think this could be and why? As well, if it were ever decided to reboot or retell the original trilogy story, how would you feel about changes that would be made to the story? History tells us that no reboot ever goes off without changes to the story, but do you think that if the decision were to be made to do this, you think they'd simply tell the exact same story of the redemption of Anakin Skywalker with updated CGI and visual effects? Obviously, this is a rabbit hole I'm only willing to travel so far down, before I start convulsing because of my affinity for the original trilogy and my loyalty to the story. But the future generations will not be so married to the original trilogy as we are, and thus, this is a reality that we very well may face in our lifetimes. Can't wait to hear back from you guys, and in the meantime, like you say, ponder on. Sincerely, Jake. Hey, Jake, how's it going? It's good to hear from you. Uh, you know, that's a question that I, I know for me, I've been pondering for, you know, I'd say at least since 2008, maybe even earlier than that. Uh, you know, Battlestar Galactica, that's something that jumps right ahead. I mean, that's the one that really got me stopping and thinking about it, you know, I mean, because they did such a good job with that show. And I admit, you know, I was never a Battlestar Galactica fan. I remember watching a couple episodes as a little kid, and it wasn't really something I was enjoying. You know, I was more in Trek at that time. Uh, but the differences, I remember a lot of people being really upset about those differences, but I enjoyed it. And I, I, you know, I think about it in that regard, like how Battlestar Galactica worked for a whole new generation who had never saw it before. And in that case, you know, I, I'm 35 and I'm of that generation where I should have seen it, but I didn't see it because I lived up in the middle of the woods with no power until I was about nine. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I should have seen as a kid that I didn't. And so, you know, when I think about how successful that was, even though they took different turns, you know, and Starbuck was a female and, and Boomer was a female. I mean, they changed a lot of different things, you know, and yet the show stayed core to the truth that they were on a quest to find Earth. They were running from the Cylons. Uh, you know, there were a lot of other things that had been changed along the way, but that core aspect of it stayed true. You know, and I, I think about all the differences that they, they did, the, uh, the way the space flight and stuff. You know, they updated all that and the way it, it just worked on so many levels for me. I was really enjoying that. And I was thinking about, you know, they did the same thing with Trek. You know, the Trek got to a point where they were like, hey, we can reboot it. And that, too, did not go over greatly with a lot of fans. Uh, I'm, I'm again, one of those fans that I enjoyed that change as well. My dad actually enjoyed that change. My brother-in-law did not. Um, and, and it was one of those things where I, I think it depended on how you were looking at what was going on with the franchise as well as what was going on with the story. You know, me and my dad, when we looked at it, it was like, well, everything in Trek had to happen for Spock, you know, Alpha to go back in time and for the whole new alternate universe to come forward. So nothing was wiped out, you know? So for us, it was like, Hey, they stuck, they stayed true to the physics of Star Trek. We could get behind that. But there were other people that were like, oh, no, this is just a ripoff. I mean, think about Star Trek 2 and how they had the whole, you know, con aspect and stuff. And everybody's like, oh, it's just a complete knockoff. It's following, you know, what came before. But again, they were staying true to the physics of Star Trek. And so that, again, worked for it. So when I think about how they could do it with Star Wars, you know, and I think, you know, going forward, maybe 30 years, maybe a little too soon. 
but maybe it ain't. I mean, I think it might be too soon in the aspect of we're getting another sequel trilogy right now, so it's kind of resetting the clock on Star Wars kind of falling off the limelight. Uh, I think that's part of why Trek did their reboot. You know, it had been a while since Voyager and Enterprise had been on, and, you know, let's face it, Voyager was okay, but it was no DS9. And, you know, I mean, there were other shows that, that had more success than the last few Treks that we got. So, you know, maybe it might be safer to say closer to 60 years. I could see them easily wanting to come back and, and, and do the reboot. I mean, you know, think about what's going on with Legends and the fact that they've, you know, excised it and sh- set it off to the side. It's now its own alternate universe. It's not going to grow, but it's all on its own. And we're going to start a whole new universe. Well, I mean, think about it. That universe was, was what, 30, 35 years old at best. And now we're looking at, you know, the same thing. In another 30, 35 years, are we going to get that same point where they feel like, well, there's just too much stuff out there and we can't tell any good stories because it's tying our people's hands together and we just want to tell those stories set right after A New Hope because everybody only sees A New Hope. I I mean, there's that aspect to me that constantly thinks about that. They could easily do that. They could get to that point where they're like, all right, it's time. And when they get there, then then you get to that other aspect of the question which you talk about, you know, do you stay true to the Vader story? Do you start tweaking things? What are the themes that you're going to stick to? I would think that that one of the main themes, aside from redemption, I think the redemption of Vader should be a key angle if it's not the the main leg of it. But I really think the rebellion is the thing that they need to stick with the most. You know, the the rebelling against the Empire and being, you know, against the ropes. Because that's the one key element of the original trilogy that I've always got. You know, when, when you get into A New Hope, Luke's kind of just jumping in and he's, he's learning about how this big battle's going on and all this stuff. And he's watching friends like Biggs die, throwing their lives to this cause. You know, then you get in the next one and it ends on such a down note. You're just like, how are they ever going to defeat this empire? You know, and when you get to the last one, it's like Emperor Palpatine had everything so well plotted out. You know, Luke's all, I, I blew it. I should never came on this mission. I'm endangering everything. And it's like, ding, 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 you're right, you know. And then he gets up there and Palpatine's like, everything's going as I've foreseen. Your rebels are going to be attacked. He's like, oh, no. If it wasn't for Vader at the last minute, Palpatine had everything plotted and planned. I mean, it, it, the Empire was such a threat. Palpatine's plotting was such a threat that, that that would would have to be one of the main themes is overcoming that. I would love to see them actually play up Palpatine in a regards of like Legends has done. I mean, right now story group canon is is very limited in what it has to draw off of. So Palpatine at this point is just what you really see in the films and a couple little things from the Clone Wars cartoon. But in the Legends universe. He was so crafty. I mean, part of what he was doing was he was setting up for the Yuuzhan Vong when they showed up, and he had all these aspects at work building this empire. You know, I mean, this this war machine, and it was all driving towards something. And and it was like every failure was also a win because he had crafted everything from every angle. It was just like Palpatine was the ultimate genius. I mean, Thrawn was brilliant, but Palpatine made Thrawn a tool. So it was just like whoa. Palpatine is just the, the level of evilness in Legends. I would love to see them do something like that as an angle. You know, I mean, not only is the Empire big and bad, but Palpatine, you know, his his use, his command of the dark side has made him such a threat that he's able to use the Empire in ways that make the Empire alone is a threat. But the fact that you've got this man sitting in control of it makes it even more deadly. I would love to see something like that. I mean, I, I don't know, Nathan, where do you go when you think about these kind of things? I honestly, I don't see it. I think I'm with you as far as it's going to be even further out, you know, because at this point, I mean, say what you will about the idea of the Star Wars saga starting with Episode One, but really, I mean, the core of Star Wars has always been the classic trilogy. I mean, in 
it was the story that was initially told, and everything else was designed around it. I mean, even the prequels and the visual design of the prequels were designed as a lead-in to the original trilogy. You know, this is why this character looks this way, or this armor looks this way. It's all to lead in, so that yes, you can watch it chronologically, but really, every step of the way, it is basically backstory for what was the core stuff. And now we've got a sequel trilogy building off of events in that trilogy. Um, I would say that, first off, you couldn't change the original trilogy without changing other things with it. So my thought would be, we'd have to get to a point where it's not just, well, there's too many stories out there in this new story group canon, or whatever you want to call it, now we're going to reboot it the same way we are now essentially rebooting in 2014 from Legends to the new continuity, uh, and replacing books and comics and such, you'd have to hit a reboot point where they are rebooting all of the movies. Because if you significantly change anything back in the classic trilogy, that could have profound effects on the sequel trilogy, the other films, not just books and comics and video games out there and whatnot. Um, so yeah. there's that angle to it. I tend to really like reboots of stories, whether it's Battlestar Galactica or anything else. Um, surely there are plenty of different continuities, say, of things like Transformers that are fun to get into. I mean, as long as sort of the spirit is there and there's a sense of the familiar, but they're willing to do new things and kind of play around with it and, and go in surprising directions, usually reboots are pretty cool, uh, Michael Bay notwithstanding. Um, I'm actually a really big fan of the latest two Star Trek films. I was a fan of the Trek franchise, uh, thanks to my dad kind of getting me into it around season four or five or so of Star Trek The Next Generation. Went back mm -hmm. and rewatched all the original series, all the films, uh, all the episodes of Next Generation over and over again. This is back before you could buy the DVD season sets, so I was taping them off of television on yeah. one player, on, on one VHS tape with commercials in it, and then dubbing them then in order, taking out the commercials, which I got down to a science, from one VCR to another, onto tapes of eight episodes each, because of course without commercials you can fit eight on a, a SLP VHS tape or an EP VHS tape, and would watch the series over and over and over again back then. Um, did get out of it um, by the time we got to about season five or so of DS9, because that was right when I was becoming a big fan of Babylon 5, and I was tired of seeing the same story in two different places, basically, but that's a debate for another time. Um, that also got me out of Voyager around the same time, shortly after Year of Hell, which I thought was pretty awesome. Um, I eventually did go back many years later on Netflix and watch all of Enterprise, but I've still never picked up the rest of Voyager, the rest of DS9, because it got to a point where it just sort of felt very rote. Same characters, same situations. You know, it's neat, but how much of this world do I really want to see do I really want to go catch up on that many episodes? Coming from the guy that just watched the entire Law & Order franchise over the span of many, many months. Um, but then came the new films. And the idea of sort of rebooting by doing the time travel thing really intrigued me, and now I really like the new stuff. And as much as we, as fans, can complain about Into Darkness basically being a reboot or a remade version of Wrath of Khan, that's kind of the point. What if you take similar characters and similar situations, but you give them a twist, like Nero showing up and that changing the way uh, that things wind up working from then on for the Federation, which means that they find Khan when they did, or that they, they have him look different than he did before as a means of kind of hiding him as a security agent, etc. And now here he is still coming back around and we wind up with similar tropes showing up and yet a different story. Uh, I love that kind of thing. 
but I think we have to be careful between the distinction of a reboot or a remake. A reboot of Star Wars suggests significant changes. I can't see them doing that unless they reboot all of the films, the entire franchise, not just the, the licensed works, and I don't see that happening for decades to come because Disney will be milking the sequel trilogy and these other films as long as they possibly can. They're not going to want to go out and shoot the cash cow because they've got another cow coming in. Uh, on the other hand, a remake, that seems possibly a little more likely, just redoing the same story over again without significant changes but with uh, better effects and such. I mean, heck, that's sort of what Lucas was doing. I mean, I'm in the process now of doing from the Star Wars home video library videos, who knows when they'll ever see the light of day, that goes through and compares all the different versions and changes made to the different Star Wars films. Um, and there's a ridiculous number of them, especially for the original trilogy, the different versions of the films. But I'm kind of shocked every time I pop in the Blu-rays of the classic trilogy at how well they stand up over time. They've been cleaned up, and yes, there's all those different changes made to it, and some of the changes are ridiculous. Like, you know, Jabba's palace's door is bigger on the outside than on the inside. It's a reverse TARDIS. And... Somehow, R2-D2 is hiding behind rocks that appear in one shot and disappear when you change the camera angle. Okay, heck, maybe he's some, got some kind of hologram projector and he's making it look like there's rocks. Who knows? <laughs> but when they cleaned it up, it looks gorgeous. And it was so far ahead of its time visually in the 70s and 80s that now it still seems, to an extent, on par with a lot of the stuff that we're getting with, say the prequel trilogy, and hopefully what we'll get with the sequel trilogy, so it feels still consistent, uh, if feeling a little more real with not as much CGI in it. So there's a part of me that says that that can just stand up over time. You know, if it stood up this many decades, it'll probably stand up quite a few decades more. If they were to go back and do a remake of it, though, that's actually kind of something I would worry about, because not that they couldn't do it, but who would they cast? And wouldn't they have to cast someone now that would look like and have a resemblance and such to the people in the sequel trilogy? Because surely they wouldn't go back and remake all of it anytime soon. But if they did, uh, they would have to do remakes of all of them. Otherwise, you get the whole issue of, you know, here's a character yeah. played by one actor here and played by the original actor over here when they were older. Um, plus the issue with the fact that usually with remakes, the remakes often aren't nearly as good as the original was. Because it winds up feeling watered down and often kind of pointless to have done the remake in the first place. And I wouldn't want to see Star Wars in a position where it winds up with the remake. There have been remakes that have been very good. The 12 Angry Men remake uh, with uh, Jack Lemmon, for instance, was, I think it was Jack Lemmon, uh, was excellent right alongside what? the original with Fonda. But at the same time, you know, House of Wax, you name it. How many other films have we seen them do a remake of saying, this would be cool to tell this story again with modern effects and modern actors? And you're like, oh... Newest yeah, Dune. Nightmare on Elm Street kind of thing. Dune. Although I did, I will say that the Dune that was on Sci-Fi Channel may have deviated from the story some, but visually, um, it helped me visualize more when I was reading them. But I gave up on Dune many, many moons ago. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you on that. I mean, I, I, I couldn't imagine them rebooting any one aspect of the trilogy. I, it would have to be all or nothing. Um, but I, 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 you do point up a, a brilliant point about the difference between a reboot and a remake because I, I know Battlestar Galactica they they were calling it a reinvention or a retelling 
but that's that's one of the things like okay if they did do that and they they did the whole saga like imagine if you had leia that went to the moisture farm and luke that went to alderaan you know that luke's a king or a prince you know waiting to, to be the king of alderaan i mean you know they went with a whole different angle as to who is which character and stuff like that i i'm with you in that regard i enjoy the differences when they go forward in a lot of ways so i mean i think that that could work i would love to see you know, differences to where the characters are at or what they do. I mean, the whole question of did Han, you know, did he shoot first? All that kind of stuff. Like you could see a totally, you know, much more hardcore version of him. He could be a pirate, you know, I mean, instead of a smuggler, he's, you know, we find out that him and Chewie are pirates this time and, and, or, you know, maybe he's running, you know, the gang. I mean, there's so many different ways they could deliver it. I, I like that aspect. And, you know, again, going back to the Marvel side of things, I mean, they've done that kind of stuff time and time again with different characters that I love. And I think the hardest part about any time they do something like that is the first announcements because they can't give you all the details. They got to give you enough to wet your whistle. But unfortunately, it's always going to be enough to draw questions, which are going to draw ire. And, you know, you get all those people that are really ticked. I mean, even right now, you're still seeing in groups where people are talking about how give us legends because this new stuff sucks. And it's like, dude, the new stuff's not even really out yet. Aside from like one or two, you know, <laughs> comics here and, and a book that's about to come out in a couple days. I mean, it's a little premature to be saying it sucks. I get you want to keep legends around. But, I mean, there's definitely that visceral reaction when you first hear about, you know, there's going to be a change. <laughs> you're like, wait, what? Yeah, I don't know. I'm just wondering if they do a, a a reboot of it and they change, like you said, the whole thing of Han shooting first at this rate, with them going, no, Han shot first. No, it's actually Greedo shot first, and there was a slight pause. No, they're actually closer together. No, they're even closer together now, and Han does some kind of weird, like, shifting to the side that makes it seem like he was in the Matrix. The next time around, you know it's going to be that Greedo just dies of a freaking spontaneous heart attack. <laughs> and Han stands up and drops a rose on his body before walking out. And instead of saying sorry about the mess, he pays for Greedo's funeral or something. <laughs> That's the direction we're going. Um, okay. So, uh, next email that we have here comes in from Logan Young. And Logan says, uh, in relation to a video out there that a lot of Star Wars fans have seen, sort of an anime-style battle of X-Wings versus TIE Fighters and such, uh, he says... Hello, long-time listener, first-time emailer. I was wondering what both your opinions were on the idea of Star Wars having a Japanese anime-style animation. This question was spurred by my coming across a fan animation, which he linked in the email, which we put up on our page before, and I want to know if you would be excited for this type of Star Wars animation, similar to the Halo series getting Halo Legends. The style the fan video is in is reminiscent of Legend of the Galactic Heroes, highly recommended sci-fi anime if you guys haven't watched it. It's a bit old, but definitely worth the watch. I think the Star Wars IP slash universe would translate well into that sort of style. I mean, Kodo Bukaya is already making shouju-styled statues of Jaina and Mara. Hoping for a response, Logan. There's definitely a lure there. Um, you know, I have both those statues you mentioned. I, I love them. Absolutely love them. As for this style of anime, I know for me it kind of draws me back to the old classic G.I. Joe style. Um... You know, like the old uh, Cobra la, 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 style movie that they had. I liked that video. I thought it was really cool. Um, you know, I, I would I would be down. Only mainly because when it comes to X-Wing battles and stuff like that, I, I love it. And, and watching that video over and over again, it really played well. Uh, you know, if I had anything to compare it to, I think I'd probably take something like, you know, landing at Point Rain from the Clone Wars 
where, you know, when that battle and stuff went down, it was equally as intense. So I, I think, I think it'd work. I mean, think about, you know, the Gendy series, you know, that, that came about because George Lucas likes Samurai Jack. I like Samurai Jack. Let's go with that style. I mean, just think how easy it, they could have gone with that other style for that. You know, I mean, I think it could work. I, will they ever go there? I don't know. I don't know if there's enough people that enjoy that style for them to do it, but I definitely think it could work. Yeah, I think it works in the style of that particular battle video. I mean, I think it would work for Star Wars overall, but you'd have to really keep a particular feel to it. You wouldn't be able to be bouncing all over the place feel-wise with the episodes as they sometimes did in Clone Wars. It would feel a little bit inconsistent with that style of artwork. Uh, I just wonder from a production time how long it would take to produce episodes like that versus episodes of, say, what we've got now with the Clone Wars and Rebels where it's pretty much all... You know, CG mm. animated, you know, uh, how yeah. much of it, how much would the time increase probably for that sort of thing? Uh, I would think maybe it'd be very cool to see something like that a little more feasibly with maybe one-off specials and stuff like that. Uh, you know, hour-long special here, hour-long special there, maybe a direct-to-video release of something that usually is the death knell of a franchise. I see that video and I'm reminded of one of my first big cartoon experiences with Japanese uh, type of animation. And in a time period where I was tending to watch G.I. Joe and Transformers, which granted was Japanese, but still had sort of an Americanized feel to some of it, uh, I was also watching Robotech. And that was a huge favorite of mine for years, uh, until I eventually wound up reading all the books by James Luceno slash Brian Daly as Jack McKinney that just blew away the actual episodes, in my opinion. I much prefer the novels than I do uh, the actual video series and such. But in that case, I think you do Star Wars in that style very well, the way that they did space battles and such versus you know, X-Wings and TIE Fighters. Uh, the, the thing that always gets me about that style of older anime-style productions, though, is all the unnecessary bits and pieces. Um, you know, a character is, is surprised by something, and instead of just showing it on their face and doing it in dialogue, it's, here's a shot of them quirking up an eyebrow or something, and you got to make the voice actor go, Uh? Uh? Oh, that kind of stuff drives me insane with anime. Uh, so if they did it with, uh, I, I would almost say Spawn style, but Spawn didn't exactly go over well with many audiences uh, on HBO. If they did it in anime style visuals, but got rid of some of the anime tropes to make it feel closer to Star Wars the way that they do with Clone Wars and seem to be doing with Rebels, where you get sort of the best of both worlds, that'd be awesome. I just wonder if they would have the production time to do it. What I'd be afraid of is something like, let's tell the story of the X-Wing legend stories, um, and now uh, Face is with his wingman who is dying, and instead of just you know dealing with the loss like that, he stops and breaks into song and starts singing Let It Go or something. Um, or Let Him Go, I suppose. So, cool idea, but it would have to be done just right, I think, for it to really have that Star Wars kick and not feel like a simple cash grab, which so mm. often happens in in franchises owned by mega conglomerates. That brings us to an email here uh, from Hans Skolberstad, if I'm saying that correctly there. Uh, from Hans, he says, Greetings and salutations, NPB Mark and Whistler. First, as always, I hope both of your better halves are proceeding in a positive manner regarding health and results. You both have real-world problems, yet continue to deliver weekly fantastic episodes. 
When you guys address negative fans' emails and such, I get concerned that you guys are referring to me. I respond and interact as invited by Mark, and then get a touch of paranoia that I am trolling. I just recently learned that term, not being a teenager and all. When you finished, I realized I was safe. As a disclaimer, because I've been accused of being abrasive and an A1 a-hole, both true, I want you both to know that I am a dedicated listener and occasional tweeterer. That's his word for it. I do not Facebook, so I totally appreciate you tweeting your Facebook posts to see. Catching up on books and your podcasts. I fell 12 episodes behind because I wanted to read Vector while listening to your reviews. I agree 100% with your takes. While overall it was a nice story and tale, they did not meet all of the three objectives. Some Clone Wars involvement may have pushed it over to awesome for me, because that is my favorite part of the timeline. Okay, second, Darth Bane is my holy grail. Partly because at the time the Bane from Batman was my favorite villain, and partly because I did not have many other Sith Lords to enjoy. Now, Darth is as common in EU as the term CEO in corporate America. I finished the Schreiber trilogy. That Maul book was sweet. We're eventually going to wind up covering that. I'm now done with the prequel trilogy and Clone Wars era books. Next up is the Han trilogy, Han Adventures, then the Lando books. Ironically, in the most recent podcast I'm listening to, Jackson Speaks, you mentioned that these books are from the early EU and not really favored. I, on the other hand, struggled through Coruscant Nights. You weren't the only one and The Last Jedi looking forward to tackling these nine books. Now I'm already looking forward to the Tales books from Jabba's Palace and such. I hope to have the Legends, he spells it L-E-G-E-U-N-D-S, right, Legends with E-U, finished by Episode 7 to start a bold new journey in Books That Count. Mark, I know you have trouble with exotic names, and I love hearing your pronunciations, mainly because they sound right to me. But on one ep, you refer to Ayla as Aaliyah. Aaliyah was a black girl who died in a plane crash. Ayla was a blue girl who got gunned down by clones. You also mentioned that everyone loves rebels from the little bit that we've got. I'm paraphrasing. I, for one, as much as I love cartoon CGI and the Clone Wars, I'm not super excited for rebels. Yes, the McQuarrie-style stormtroopers look like a perfect fit for the pre-original trilogy stormtrooper gear. I'm sure they'll eventually hook me with a Clone Wars reference or an Episode 7 tie-in, but that's days away. In closing... Keep up the good work, and do not let those haters bother you. In the words of HHH, if they're not down with it, I got two words for them. Hans. That's Triple H, but me not knowing <laughs> anything about wrestling with HHH. So, in the words of... <sighs> <laughs> oh, Hans. No, I, you know, I, I appreciate that you uh, tweet at us as often as you do. In fact, you're you're one of the more uh, vibrant uh, Twitter people out there that... that tweet back at us because i'm always tweeting on occasion and saying hey did anybody respond back to that uh you know i think with being a fan of legends and of the eu and and even of the word canon i, I think that there is a, a place that we fall when we interact with other fans in the general fandom uh and i think a lot of times that we get mistaken for being trolls because of the things that we like and i think that what happens is it's like We'll make a comment, you know, something about, well, this this happened in canon or this, di you know, happened in Legends. And, and as soon as you throw that word canon out there, it's like everybody's like, oh, here we go again. Here we go, someone's throwing canon. And all of a sudden you get these mem pictures of like Darth Vader face palming when someone uses the word canon. In a and you're like, oh, really? Like, I can't even bring the word up? <laughs> so I, I think that there's a lot of that stigmata that comes with our fandom and being the fans of the things we like. And, and that also is a generalization. I mean, because as an EU fan, 
there are aspects of it that I really enjoy that I know other EU fans that are equally dedicated to EU that they just hate. You know, I mean, I get it. A lot of fans do not like the new Jedi Order. They hated what the Fong did and all that. To me, that was the bee's knees, man. I love that. That was, that was the coolest time for me in my fandom because it was like, oh my God, Chewie's dead. Oh my God, Luke, Luke could die. Oh my God, Han and Leia's kids are in peril. I mean, you know, the galaxy is being ruined by these guys. They're just taking out planets, wiping out civilizations. Oh my gosh, there are lasting effects. Of course, you know, once we got to darkness, that was all swept away real quick. But, you know, during that 19 book series, it was like the holy crap moment of Star Wars. And I was digging it, you know, I mean, I, and I had friends that I was interacting with on the forums and stuff that were like, I hate this. I'm done. I'm out. Dude, they killed Chewie. That's the last straw. And, you know, and I remember, you know, there were always those type of moments like, you know, this event happened and it was either you, you dig it or you didn't. And, you know, you, you could fall in that, that realm. Of, well, I didn't really dig it, but I'm, it's not enough to get off, you know? And I think that that was a lot of people. You fell into those three categories. It was either you were enjoying it or you weren't, or you were like, oh, I'm going to wait and see how it goes. And I think, you know, for me, again, I was making a generalization with everyone loving Rebels, but there is a lot of love coming for Rebels. And when you think about it, from the moment that we first got a lot of these little tidbits about Rebels, there was a lot of unjust love. You know, I mean, we were just loving it because it was Star Wars. You know, there was nothing to give to us to make us love it. Uh, you know, I, I was latching on to Kanan's character just because I thought he was a cool character. He was a Jedi and I've always dug Jedi. Uh, then I see Sabine's video. And I fell in love with that character. It's like, oh, dude, she's snarky. I mean, I love that the, she's running around. She's like, I've read your book. It's a short one. I, I mean, I was just, I, then I was like, okay, I've got some content that I love this character, you know? Uh, so I, I think that, that there is that aspect of things. And I think, you know, when, when we address the more negative email and stuff, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you, Hans, when I feel like, Sometimes the things I say get reactions from people where they think that I'm a bigger hater of things than I am. I know I'm heavy when it comes to teasing George Lucas for changing things. I know that I can make that sound a lot like I'm really angry because there's a degree of me that is, you know, I mean, there, I, I've said it before. I've always felt like it would be great if George Lucas was an EU fan. You know, if, if Lucas had included it, if he'd have done what Story Group Canon is doing right now forward, you know, I, I feel like a lot of the issues that we have in fandom and a lot of the, well, I like this and I like that. Well, this doesn't follow it and all that kind of stuff that, that came from that. I, I believe it was all his fault, you know, good intentions. But again, the, the reality of our fandom can be attributed to George Lucas's decisions. Some of those were brilliant, you know, don't get me wrong. But in expressing my frustrations in a short amount of time, especially like in this case where I'm only dealing with, you know, one aspect of a question, it's not a true reflection of all of my feelings, what I'm saying, because there are other aspects of it that I can look at and acknowledge or, or disregard and so forth that I'm not even bringing up. You know, I mean, I, I could talk about, you know, all these negative things that Lucas did do or didn't do, or, or, you know, why did he mess with that one wall when, when he's got that escape pod with the blue that he never fixed? You know, why couldn't you fix that? It's been sitting there for all that stuff. You tweak with it over and over again, but you never fix that. Really? Come on. I thought we were, I thought we were making the films better. Let's fix some of the problems, like the stuff you forgot to do the first time. You know, little things like that. And of course, you know, when I say it like that, there's a part of me that starts channeling my mom and my mom sounds really mean when she's making a point. So I, I you know, you got that aspect of it, too, when you're on a podcast or as you and I both understand when you're on Twitter, Twitter is the hardest place for me. And I'm sure other fans out there to have any kind of conversation when it comes to Star Wars, because 140 characters is not enough 
to explain yourself. I mean, I was I was chatting with uh, with Toshi Station. Uh, you know, I was talking to Brian and Nancy on Twitter about you know they were mentioning that Luke being a hermit is is against his character, and I'm like, well, you know, I could agree with that in the Legends aspect, but not so much from the films. But as we kept talking about the sixth tweet into our conversation, then your points of view start to get across. But on Twitter, I find that there's very 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 limited amount of times where people see that second or third tweet you know they usually they see, if, if they didn't catch that first one that conversation's gone on and i always that's one of the things when it comes to twitter i can't stand because i feel like i'm always falling behind on that twitter feed you know whereas with facebook you know you can really get into some deep conversations and stuff and and really flesh it out it's all right there in that one post i do like that twitter kind of compiles it all for you but I, again it gets back to that aspect of sometimes you don't have enough time to express yourself in a way that that would make it so they understand where you're coming from because i you know i think a lot of times most of us fans we like things we don't like things and it's well i like that i didn't like that well you should like that you know and sometimes the reasons why we like and dislike can help you you know get into that understanding mode and i think that because we don't have that most of us fans feel like we're being labeled as trolls or get treated like we're trolling when we're not I don't know. Maybe I'm just maybe I'm just out there. Maybe I'm a troll. No, I think it's just to me it's the difference between, you know, a troll and and a fan who just happens to have a different point of view is whether or not you have rational reasons behind what you're saying, whether you're able to back up what you're saying versus if you're just basically doing, you know, the ad hominem attacks, the name calling type stuff, uh or if you're out there essentially just ripping on something for the sake of ripping it. Uh, or being intellectually dishonest about it. I mean, there's nothing even wrong with, say, being someone playing devil's advocate to give an alternate point of view, even if you don't necessarily agree with that alternate point of view. But there should be some basis to it, logically, uh, that you can make an argument for. If it's something where the only argument you've got is somebody says, well, why do you think that? Or, uh, where are you coming from with that? And their answer is, because! And that's it? Then, yeah, you're probably a troll. Um, in general, we like the idea of, of alternate points of view because it gives us a chance to talk about different angles on things. Although, you know, I would say that when it comes to Twitter, I haven't been using Twitter all that much now that Twirl changed. Twirl, I guess, tra- changed to what? TweetDeck or something. There was a point at which I was using Twitter a lot, but it was because I had a little thing off to the side of my screen that looked basically like the regular old uh, AOL Instant Messenger program where I could keep up with everything much more easily when I had also less stuff that I was trying to do on a daily basis. Um, so I haven't really done much with Twitter recently. It's all pretty much just the retweeting stuff over from Facebook where I can post longer things, which of course I know just leaves a link for people to see things on Twitter, which I'm sure is probably annoying by this point. Um, but, you know, I mean, to me, it's it's likely that you're going to be mis- more misconstrued on Twitter, but social media is kind of like that in general. Um, I think I've gotten to yeah. a point where I don't really care. Like, if I say something that is something that is what I think meets the standards of what I would like to say, intellectually honest, my actual opinion, and I'm not just blowing smoke for people, then I'm fine with it. And sometimes that does cost you a little bit. Um, it was funny, Ryder Wyndham, who's uh, been a Star Wars writer for ages, was actually the guy who helped me find the my sort of Star Wars collecting Holy Grail. The uh, three-volume hardback, uh, Archie Goodwin uh, and uh, Al Williamson set of the newspaper strips reprinted from the Russ Cochran archives, and I guess it was 91, 1990, something like that, 
where it's signed by both of them, uh, both of which had recently passed away at the time. Really hard to find item, finally found it for a decent price, and every time he would run into it, he would send me a link to where he found it, uh, on usually on eBay. And then, at one point, uh, there was, I don't know if it was a holiday or what it was, but there was some point at which President Obama, as many presidents before him had, used a press conference on a holiday or whatever it was in what seemed like a somewhat inappropriate way. Despite other politicians having done it before, I made a comment about that on Facebook. And I don't know if it's because I insulted someone of his particular political views or what, but he started sniping at that quite a bit. And I was like, well, if other presidents had did this, then... What, what would you tell your students? I'm like, well, if I told my students, I would have said, this is this. Now give me some feedback like he's doing, and then let's talk about either side of the issue. But you always start with something provocative because that's how you generally get students latched onto a topic, blah, blah, blah. But somewhere along the way in that conversation, I guess I never redeemed myself for daring to do whatever it was that pissed him off. And he drops me off of Facebook. Haven't talked to the man since. Now, people will do that. Uh, sometimes people that, you know, you respect, and sometimes people you aren't quite sure where they were coming from with whatever the friending or unfriending is. you got to learn that if you're constantly tailoring what you say or do to make sure that you offend the least amount of people or that you manage to fit inside this sort of safe sphere so that everybody loves you, then you're sort of giving away some of yourself in order to do that. And to me... I mean, I talk about intellectual honesty. That's just not an honest way to live. You know, I can't imagine being someone who lives and dies by social media alone because you would have to essentially either constantly anger people or you'd have to be so fake all the time or so vapid and opinionless all the time that you might as well not be existing anyway. So, <laughs> yeah. Let, let, let the anger rise if it comes out. Just As long as it's intellectually honest, the conversation can be had. That reminds me of the big hit with Mark Wahlberg. She doesn't like me? And he gets all ulcer-ridden. He's like, I need some of my medicine. She don't like me. I just want people to like me. Yeah, it's not. Again, so social media, it's not that big a deal. Um, all right. That brings us to another email here. Try to, try to speed us along, realizing our, uh, our timer, because we spent a lot of time on a couple of these. Uh, we have one coming in from Jason, who says, Hi, guys. Just wanted to get your opinion on the direction the Star Wars universe is heading. How do you guys feel about how everything seems to be drawing on and focusing on only the original trilogy era of the films? Don't get me wrong. New stories are great, but even though they are new, I still really have no interest in the Rebellion era anymore. Maybe it's because the metric ton of stories that are crammed in that era in the Legends continuity, but I really just don't want to read any more Luke, Leia, and Han save the day slash galaxy. Also, it seems to me that every little bit of news about the new films is how Lucasfilm is staying true to Macquarie's original artwork and making practical sets slash less CGI, which would be cool to see, but it just seems like they're only catering to fans of the old trilogy, and that's it. Well, that's all I got for now. Thanks for the great podcast you guys do every week, and may the Force be with you. Jason. You know, I, I too, that... What you bring up has made me ponder things because it comes down to was the prequel trilogy globally considered a failure? Because I'm getting the same vibe you're getting. It's like, let's just, let's just pretend that the original is the only Star Wars. And then we have the Clone Wars, 
which kind of spun off of this thing that we're not going to talk about called the prequel trilogy. So we're not going to deal with that. We're just going to deal with this stuff. And I'm just like, really? Like, I, I, yeah, the prequels may have had some flaws, but I, I genuinely enjoyed them. And there were a lot of really cool moments in them. So there was that. But yeah, I mean, the, 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 okay, I had an issue with the Rebels uh, Stormtrooper face grill. You know, I had an epiphany. I'm sure you've seen it on the Facebook post when it happened. You know, I didn't like that it was a much deeper frown. And, you know, a lot of people were applauding it. You know, hey, it's a Macquarie design. It's, you know, I, I, even Hans had just mentioned it in the last email about how, you know, hey, it's a good transition piece. But for me, it was like, dude, I watched the Clone Wars. I watched it go from episode two clone armor to episode three stormtrooper armor that transition's already been made why would they go from episode you know three stormtrooper armor that looks like what it looks almost like in episode four to an armor that looks nothing like what it looks like in episode three but they're going backwards a step to move forward so yeah i had a moment with that uh so i was one of those that wasn't too thrilled to be in macquarie i'm like okay yeah it's macquarie that's cool and all and i get it you know yeah we're wanting to get back to the roots of star wars but I, that that brought up the other ponder of you know who was really the one that brought everything forward visually you know was it Lucas who came up with this great idea or was it McCory that brought the idea to life you know who's really responsible for the awesomeness of Star Wars uh, you know there's that ponder as well but I'm with you in the regards of I would I I'd rather know what happened after Episode three up to the Rebel show you know I want to know what's going on with the Empire how it's setting itself up what's going on with the clones what's going on with everyone else you know. That's the story I want to know. I'm with you 100%. I do not care about what happened after A New Hope. If we're going to talk about any era in the original trilogy, I don't want it to be after A New Hope. I really, at this point, don't care about after Empire Strikes Back. I've played Shadows of the Empire. I know it's Legends, but that works for me. I only want to know about after Return of the Jedi. You know, I mean, I, and they can they can go right after the events like they did with Truce of Bakura and, and move forward right after that with the new canon stuff and slowly start working their way forward and still, you know, be working their way towards Episode 7 and be 25 years away from being close to Episode 7 in the timeline. And then all of a sudden Episode 7 comes in and then they start filling in that the rest of that faster. I would much rather go that route than go back to A New Hope and deal with that stuff again. I'm just, I, I've seen so many versions of it and, you know, I mean, we're, we're going backwards in a, in a regard with where, where I'm going with this because we're right now living in a world, even though we haven't seen much of it, where everything is going to count. Well, a second ago when we lived in that EU world, there were versions of things you know you had the marvel version of how it went then you had the this bantam then you had the delray and so i've seen multiple versions of all this stuff and each time it counted so i could really care less this time now that it counts to do it again uh, so i'm with you there you know let's let's go to another era especially now that we know that moving forward everything's totally new you know let's go there i'm ready i'm ready for the new stuff i'm sick of retreading the old ground and just erasing the ground below it and saying well now we're going to put endor trees no let's erase that now we're going to put felucia weird things no now we're going to put big old kashik trees no now we're going to put a dagobah swamp here you know what let's just let's just roll i'm ready to roll and i'm i'm not looking forward to going back over that old stuff <laughs> I'm 100% with you. I don't know. Nathan, where are you at on that? I think it's 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 a change in the right direction in, in some respects. right? The prequel trilogy got a lot of play, and in Clone Wars as well. Uh, I mean, the prequel trilogy era, even just in story group canon, thanks to Clone Wars, is now huge compared to the amount of material in uh, just 
the, the classic trilogy era. You know, one of the things that I was doing before launching this new edition of the Star Wars Timeline Go was trying to go back and rewatch all of the Clone Wars. So I watched Episode 1, Episode 2, rewatching the Clone Wars, and then moving into, of course, Episodes 3, 4, 5, and 6. And it's going to feel like just zipping through that era compared to the extreme length now, thanks to six seasons of the Clone Wars, of the prequel trilogy era. So it's nice to sort of shift back towards that other era, at least in terms of telling new stories, like Rebels, for instance. Uh, and I like the idea that we're going to see some more practical effects used in the sequel trilogy. Because if you do that with good CGI, you can make some excellent films and not have it always feel as though you're watching what amounts to sort of a CGI fest and such. Uh, kind of the way that, and I used him as a bad example earlier, take Michael Bay uses practical effects in a lot of cases and mix in the CGI. His storytelling often is kind of crappy, rather crappy, uh, but at the same time, he does manage to blend those things in very well. You know, so seeing something like that would actually probably be a positive thing if it's done the right way. Um, but I'm with Mark just in the idea that I just don't want to see a lot of old ground being retread. You know, we got these three upcoming Marvel series, the first ones they've announced. One follows Leia, one follows Vader, one follows the Rebels, but it's all, let's see what happens right after the Battle of Yavin. Again. But this time it's for real kind of storytelling. That doesn't really interest me. I'll read it, because I'm doing it for the timeline, and because I'm a Star Wars fan, but I really just don't have much interest in it, unless they're using it to lay the groundwork for bigger, more explosive, interesting changes later that we're going to wind up seeing. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, I'm sort of nonplussed so far with story group canon. It's not that the stuff they're putting out is bad, it just doesn't feel like there was a need for it yet. Um, you take A New Dawn and Ezra's Gamble and Blade Squadron and 1,000 Levels Down or whatever it was from Insider, um, None of them feel like they're introducing anything that makes me feel as though this couldn't have happened within the existing Legends continuity. Certainly, we're going to wind up seeing that change, I'm mm -hmm. sure, with the sequel trilogy. But so far, it could have wound up fitting into the old continuity just as well as the new. Heck, Clone Wars and Son of Dathomir have changed continuity more than anything that is strictly new story group canon. Um, you know... That makes me think, though, that someday we're going to get a contingent of fans that are creating a timeline like what you're doing, where they're like, this story group canon stuff, totally unoffensive and can be put in Legends at this point, this point, that point. Oh, there already are, even though that's an intellectually dishonest way of doing it, because it's not what they say is going on, and we don't get to choose what is or isn't canon. That's a personal canon thing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, so far it's just kind of been... You know, it's, it's there, it's inoffensive, it's not clashing with anything. We just have to wait and see what happens with anything else. Uh, uh, I find it interesting that we still don't have an answer on Fantasy Flight Games' Star Wars materials. Because their material does not bear the Legends banner. But their materials have included a lot of Legends stuff. But we're finally getting to the point now where the stuff coming out for Fantasy Flight Games, like the, the beta rulebook for Force and Destiny were being produced around the time that the Legends announcement was being made and becoming known to these companies. And probably as a result, the Force and Destiny beta book's little adventure... I mean, you're, you're, going, you're, you're a Jedi, or a group of, of wannabe Jedi Force users in the Rebellion era who wind up looking for uh, a long-lost Force technique by going to a planet that is basically uh, the funeral world, uh, or the tomb world of an ancient Sith Lord. 
And who, what Sith Lord is it? Well, his name is, quote, Lost to Time. It's the most generic possible way of doing an adventure that sounds cool on its face, but then has absolutely no specifics whatsoever to it. And it feels as though that's kind of where we're heading for a little while, but at some point, they're going to have to decide what's up with Fantasy Flight games. Either these stories are legends that continue to be so, as they have been before because of how much legend stuff they reference, or not. Um, and I, I can't really share some of the details that I've gotten into uh, in conversations with one of the people who actually writes for Fantasy Flight games, but it feels as though it's, it's going to be a while before we actually get a chance to really see big changes in this canon versus the previous Legends continuity and the effect that it may have on other projects, and then finally get a sense of where those other projects are going. The Old Republic is in continuing now as Legends, according to what was given to GameSpot a while back, but at some point, maybe they'll decide to start working some of it in a story group canon, in which case, you know, do you retroactively do it? Does it fit into both like <laughs> Clone Wars did? What do you do about it? Um, it's just one of those things where... It's fo we're focusing now on the original trilogy to get back to that spirit of the feel of Star Wars, which is what got people hooked in the first place. But at the same time, um, we have to be wary of retreading old ground. And if we do retread old ground, we better make sure that it's different enough to justify all the changes happening. Because at least until the sequel trilogy comes out, I think you're still going to have a contingent of fans out there saying, this split of continuity should never have happened. It wasn't necessary. Because so much of the stuff that's being produced right now doesn't feel like it does anything new that would have justified making a separate continuity out of it. Well, and then you've got the Imperial Handbook that's still coming out where, you know, the Bounty Hunters Code, the Book of Sith, the Jedi Path, they're all legends. Uh, you know, and they haven't said one way or another if this one's going to be legends. I mean, so, okay, so this one's going to be an in-universe one? And if so, so there's those kind of questions. Like, okay, so how does that work when, you know, when you look at the other ones and all the EU things they were referencing, do they now cut all that out? I know I, I got into a conversation with somebody about uh, Bane and the Rule of Two and when, when the Jedi found it out. And, you know, yeah, Legends have given us an answer for that, but canon hadn't. Well, unbeknownst to me, that day... The data bank on StarWars.com had a new entry out about that. And it was like, okay, well, this now we have it. It was what the guy was saying. It was like, you know, then you get that aspect of it. It's like, okay, well, because they put it on the StarWars.com website, which is, is definitely the place you're going to want to go for all these kind of facts, doesn't necessarily mean that that fact's going to stay there. Because I, I recall data banks, you know, five years ago that are most of that stuff's all completely gone now. So, you know, I mean... Yeah, it's it's official. It's on the StarWars.com databank, but there's no official works to back that up yet. So there's that aspect of it, too, that gets me kind of scratching my head. It's like, man, I really wish they would give us some of that kind of clarity, you know, like full on, like another one of those statements is, is needed. I mean, you've got enough things out there, I think, that they could get away with putting a second one out without it feeling like, well, you blundered the first one so bad you had to re-clarify, which I hate to say it, but. Most of fandom missed what you put in that memo, so maybe it is time to uh, give us a layman's version. That brings us to another that, oddly enough, refers to the pronunciation thing. Uh, this is coming in from Scott Romanski. He says, Hey guys, here's my feedback slash question for you. How do you personally figure out how to pronounce the names within the Star Wars universe? I ask because there are some that I say differently, such as Mr. Horn. I say it as Corin, and Mark says... Koran. And with Lando, I say Calrissian, with the middle sounding like hiss, 
whereas Nathan says the middle as Reese, like Reese's peanut butter cups. Everyone seems to go back and forth on Falcon between Falcon or saying it like Pal or Falcon. Also, one more nitpick thing. Mark, there's only one A in Padme. Sorry, but it drives me nuts when folks add letters and syllables to names. It tends to happen with my last name a lot, so that comes from a more personal place. Anyways, thanks for the great podcast. It's definitely one of my must-listen-to-right-away casts. Scott. And may I say this hits a little bit close to home because my thing is I tend to pronounce things based on just how I hear them in my head the first time I'm reading something. And then if I hear it some other way, like in an audiobook or something, I may try to change it. I still have trouble with Koran versus Corin. Uh, because I heard it in my head so many times that way versus now hearing it said otherwise. Um, but what gets me is that when I talk, there's a lot of ums in it. You'll probably hear the episodes that I edit, and they sound a little different than the ones that Mark edits, because I am obsessive about getting rid of my ums, because I realize I do it a lot. Especially when I'm about to start a new thought, it's, uh, and then I start it. And it just, it, it drives me nuts to go back and hear it. Uh, but one of the things... That popped up on this episode that had me kind of sitting back and and chuckling a little bit is Mark does this thing with stigmata and stigma. And every time <laughs> you say that someone has a stigma associated with something, but you say stigmata, I'm thinking, holy crap, that must be really bad for it to have those religious <laughs> wounds because of whatever the, the, the thing is. <laughs> Uh, see, and I admit, my, I've got a little bit of dyslexia in my fibromyalgia. I always, like, I'll have a word in my mind that I'm going to say, and when I say the word, it doesn't come out. Like, well, that example right there is perfect. Uh, Padme, that, another one. I know there's no A in there, and yet I always end up saying Padme. And I'm always like, what, the f- what am I doing? Uh, you know, Koran, that, that one, that's one I, I don't know. I went back and forth and I, I try to sound out the words because I know I'm probably getting it wrong. I mean, you're 100% right, Scott. It is Corin. Uh, you know, I remember being kind of irked when I was listening to the audiobook and hearing him say that over and over again. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm getting it wrong. I'm never going to get this right. Uh, you know, uh, uh, here's another one I'm probably going to butcher, uh, Gilead Paleon. I always called him Paleon, you know, um, when I first got into the EU, I actually called Talon Card's ship the Wild Cardi. And my dad was like, well, what do you call, what do you call Talon? And I'm like, it's Talon Card. It's like, well, why do you call him Card, but you call his ship the Cardi? I'm like, I'm an idiot. <laughs> like, I don't even know. I, and that was the other side of it. It's like, once you start doing it, it's really hard to stop. Uh, I know when I see the name Savage, I always think savage. I don't think savage. And I think Lucas, by doing that and, and changing, you know, it's Han, 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 and Leia, 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 and all that. I think it kind of gives us the out. Like, well, even Lucas himself, you know, while he was filming this stuff, couldn't get them to say it the same way every single time. So maybe that there's like the, you're off the hook aspect of it. Uh, you know, I, I recently, I've applied for a radio job and, and, reading fluently is one of the, the aspects of it that I was just like, oh man, I hope this isn't going to be the part that gets me. Because <laughs> when it comes to names, I am terrible. I'm terrible at pronouncing the names and I'm really bad at remembering names. So I mean, I'm good with faces, but not good with the names. You know, I mean, so it's one of the aspects with, with Star Wars Report. Riley's really good at the other side of that. So, you know, we can kind of play off of it and stuff like before show, you know, I'll, I'll mention which characters in, in Star Wars, you know, these guys are. And he'll mention to me the actors and what the names of the characters are. And I'm like, oh, okay. 
because that's just one of the things that I don't really focus on. Uh, so yeah, I mean, again, I apologize every time I say the Padame because you know I do know that's wrong and I try not to say it. <laughs> but I, I feel you on that aspect because when I'm looking at at names with A and U's and O and U's and things like that, I'm like trying like I think of other words that are similar to it to try to put it together. Like okay, is it is it Koran or is it Koran? You know, that's how I come from it. And then usually I basically come back to Nathan and go, say, how are you saying this? <laughs> And I got to say, for me, this, again, sort of the the personal aspect of it, uh, one, I may get myself in the doghouse here in more ways than one, uh, but it's funny because my wife was homeschooled. She was, uh, I, I think it was up, at, up through middle school, she was in regular public school, and then she was homeschooled afterwards. So a lot of the stuff, whenever she was doing the more in-depth topics like high school courses, even AP-style courses, um, she was reading the material as opposed to hearing it in a classroom. So for a while there, she would refer to oxygen instead of oxygen. And it's become a running gag with us um, because of all her medical things. You know, oh, do you need some oxygen? And she'll be like, oxygen, and correct me back because I'm uh, making fun of her uh, <laughs> from back then, just kind of playing around with it. But also, uh, understand, when it comes to spelling, there's a lot of ways you can say things and spell things. And it's not just science fiction. Um, I teach in a in an area that is of I want to say my school is something like 90 to 95 percent African American, uh, mostly Southern in roots, and, and so on. And I can't tell you the number of times that I have been reading the roster. It, it is torture almost the first couple days of class <laughs> reading a class roster and calling attendance unless you're using just last names. Because you will run into names that are spelled nothing like what they appear to sound like, simply because there are so many families out there. And this goes for any race, but especially uh, African Americans in studies, it's kind of leaned this direction, um, that will say, I want to make my child's name unique and memorable. And one way to do that is to have a name that either sounds a little different or sounds the same, but we will spell it differently so that it stands out. Um uh, and I'm reminded of the Freakonomic study where they showed how many different ways there were that people spelled the first name unique. Like U-N-E-E-K, U-N-I-Q-U-E, U-N-E-Q-U-E-E, and all these different things. Uh, it's just kind of one of those things now that, you know, it, we can't take spelling at face value, as if you really ever could with English. But especially these days, and especially in things like science fiction. So you just kind of go with what sounds best in your head and... And run with it. If you spend all your time trying to figure out how to pronounce something, uh, you're nitpicking even to a point where maybe, you know, we won't even go in a lot of cases. And well, we nitpick a lot. I remember when I first read Star Wars books. Okay, I grabbed Heir to the Empire and I opened it up and there were all these big words and, and concepts that were unique to Star Wars that I could kind of understand because I'd followed Star Trek enough. I was like, okay, hyperdrive. And I, and I remember like trying to think of the differences between warp and hyperspace and how they worked. And, you know, that was like a major difference. But I remember getting caught up on a lot of the terminology and I didn't read it. I set the book down. Two years go by and I had a girlfriend that saw these three books sitting on my shelf because my mom bought them for me. And, and she was like, hey, you know, you like Star Wars, huh? Guess what? I got you for your birthday. I got you the book signed by Timothy Zahn. I was so ecstatic by this. I was like, you know, I should probably read these books. And I started reading them again. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. All these big freaking words. And I just decided, you know what? If if I don't understand the word, I'm just going to buzz right by it and try to understand it as I go. 
And, you know, yeah, there were some concepts and some words that I still didn't quite understand by the time I was done with that trilogy. But by the time I got in the next series of books and other stuff, it started to kind of connect the dots. And I was starting to understand things more. And I got beyond it and got past it. And I think, you know, that, that if, if you're somebody that has problems with the names and it really slows you down, sometimes that's, you know, the angle you're going to have to take. And I know that that's part of where I got with Koran. You know, I started calling him Koran all the time. Because once I, once I did that in my mind and every time I saw the word, that name came up. That was kind of where it got. And that was what happened with Padme. Because I started saying Padme all the time. Or I'd put in such a D and M gap there that it sounds like I'm saying Padme, Padme, when I'm saying Padme. I don't know. It, it's just really hard for me to even say it. Because when I see the word, what I say is associated with what I see. And sometimes it doesn't line up. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's the fibroalgia aspect of it. Because it just, you know, there are times where I'll try to converse and what I'm trying to say is not at all what's coming out of my mouth. And I will swear to God that that's what I said. And I've had my wife even videotape me before and go, that's not what you said. I'm like, really? I didn't say that? Oh, dang, I guess I didn't. Wow. And that's scary, too. I mean, you know, you're doing a podcast and you're slipping out words <laughs> you don't mean to be saying. Good thing I'm not calling out names. <laughs> that brings us to one coming in from Zach. Uh, Zach says, hey, Mark and Nathan. So I've just had a continuity question. I was reading the Darth Maul Son of Dathomir comic issue number three. I was wondering, I don't think they've put this firmly where it's supposed to be in the continuity. I think it's supposed to go between the two-part Jar Jar arc and the Yoda arc of season six. I don't think it would make much sense to put it after the Yoda arc, mainly because in the third issue, the Jedi seem to think Dooku is the Sith Master and Maul is the Apprentice. At least that's how it came off to me. This can make sense if it's before the Yoda arc in Season 6, but they figure out the truth, or some of it, in the Yoda arc. Or at least Yoda does. I'm pretty sure they said Son of Dathomir was supposed to happen in Season 6. So I'm wondering if the Yoda stuff was supposed to be like the Season 6 finale, and the Darth Maul thing was supposed to be the arc before it. And when they were deciding on what to put on Netflix, they thought the Yoda arc would be a better fit than the Maul arc would have been. Give me your thoughts. Sincerely, Zach. Man, right out the gate, I would love for Dave Filoni to lay that out there, but I'm afraid we'd get a little thing going, and you're not going to get those answers. I, You know, you bring up good points, because, I mean, I hadn't really thought about that too much, because, yeah, if they thought Tyrannus was the Sith Lord too Maul all the time, yeah, okay, we got the two Sith, but Yoda discovering that Tyrannus exists in addition to the Dark Lord that they're following, the Lord Sidious... Yeah, no, I actually, I think, I think your logic there is, is spot on. Uh, I think, yeah, I think it's got to fall before the lost one. Yeah. What about you, Nate? You're, you're, I mean, this is your, you know, bread and butter. What do you think? <laughs> I think it probably should, but it doesn't. Because even if it probably should have fell like that in order to make sense out of what we get with, uh, issue number three or what would have been episode three, I guess, of that arc, we've been told, son of Dathomir, comes after the end of what we got with Season 6 on Netflix. So whether it would have made more sense to be in a different order or was originally meant to be in that order or not, doesn't really matter. We're kind of stuck with it being after those events, at least as of right now. As the same thing as what happened back, if you look back at Season 1. Season 1 had an intended order of episodes that was the production order of episodes. So you had materials like Lightsaber Duels, the video game, uh, or the uh, Wild Space novel being produced, which used that order of episodes as its backbone. And then, oh, 
No, instead, when they air the episodes of season one, they turn around and say, oh no, actually, those episodes, they are aired in chronological order, at least for that part of season one. So that original order, nope, not true, which completely jacked up lightsaber duels and wild space, and at least one or two references in the show between Ahsoka and Anakin. Like uh, Ahsoka talking about him not liking her flying when he hadn't really seen it yet, because it was in an episode that was supposed to originally be before that one that wound up instead being aired after and locked chronologically that way, thanks to Filoni and then Lee, uh, Lee Chi and eventually things like the episode guide. So with Clone Wars, we just kind of have to sit back and just sort of take what they give us in terms of what the order is supposed to be, what the official order is. But sometimes, like in this case, it seems like that logic doesn't really fit the logic that was there when they were actually writing and planning out the episodes. Uh, I would not be at all surprised to find that Son of Dathomir was meant to take place prior to the Yoda arc in Season 6. But chronologically, officially, it doesn't. We have two short ones here that we'll just combine together that came in from Kenny Crayley. He says, first, hello Star Wars Beyond the Films and Mark and Nathan. First off, love the podcast. I listen to it every week. My question is, with so much uncertainty, aside from the story group canon novels from Del Rey books, the comics from Marvel, etc., what are your expectations from the story group going forward with Episode 7 and Rebels, etc.? My expectations are this. It will be hard in the beginning, but trust the story group. They have very smart people doing these new canon stories, and will do them right and make it work. Sure, we may get some stories from this new canon that are not very good, like some of the not-so-good stories we got from the EU, but the potential is there for more good stories from this new story group canon. Change with this new canon may be hard to get used to, but in the end, it'll all work out. I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, gentlemen. Keep up the great work, and may the Force be with you always. Sincerely, longtime listener Kenny Crayley from Ohio. He then also writes, Hello, Mark and Nathan. There's a few Star Wars novels I'd like for you to review on the show sometime here in the future. Here's a list of what I'd like to see reviewed, if possible. Shadows of the Empire, The New Jedi Order Vector Prime, The Clone Wars Film Novelization, Any of the Republic Commando novels by Karen Travis, The Star Wars Film Novelizations, Labyrinth of Evil, the Episode 3 prequel novel, The Approaching Storm, Cloak of Deception, Dark Lord, The Rise of Darth Vader, and Any of the Darth Bane novels. Keep up the great work, Mark and Nathan, with Star Wars Beyond the Films, and may the Force be with you, always. Well, Kenny, in this uncertain time going forward, it's definitely fun to uh, watch everybody panic and panic ourselves and then take the wait-and-see pill, because that's, I, I'm, I don't know about you, Nathan, but I've been fed that pill for at least 10 years now, and I haven't died yet, so <laughs> I'm going to continue taking it and swallowing it. Uh, you know, me and Nathan have said before, you know, trust the story group or in the story group we trust. Which, you know, and I'm still proposing that, but it brings up this ponder. You know, trust the story group. Who all are the story group? I hope Brian Wood isn't on the story group. I know Leland Chi is on the story group, and I know that we've got Pablo Hidalgo. I've read of two other names, one male, one female, and again, I'm so lousy with names that neither one of those are coming to my mind. But we don't even know how many people are on this story group. We don't know if Dave Filoni's on this story group. I, I mean, I kind of would expect Filoni to be on there. I would expect Kathleen Kennedy to be on there. But again, they haven't even told us that, which is kind of hard to trust a group of individuals. I don't even know who they are or how many are in this group. So I want to trust them. I'm going to trust them. But again, it gets back to that aspect of I really wish they weren't sitting on so much information. 
I mean, why, why are we not telling everybody how many people are in this group or, you know, what is the plan? I mean, we know what the plan for the group is, but we don't know how the group's going to be governed. I mean, is this group of people going to be something where these people come and go and you have a core of 12 and it could be any of these 12 at any one point? Or are you going to have like five people? And it's going to be those specific people. Leland, she, and Pablo are never going to leave the story group ever in their lives until they die. And even then, we're going to pick apart their notes. You know, I mean, there, none of that kind of stuff's been mentioned. I mean, I've been under the impression that for all intents and purposes, the story group is a group of individuals who are now George Lucas. You know, they have all the power of being George Lucas. But again, that hasn't been specifically stated anywhere. That's just my gleaming what they've given us in a few, and I really mean few, statements. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm still going to say, you know, trust the story group, but trust has to be earned. And it's kind of hard for me to say, how are they going to earn that trust if they're not going to give us any information? So. <laughs> I'll ponder on that, I guess. To the other half of it, uh, you know, I, the only thing I can really say is we will be getting to most uh, of those, if not all of those works, eventually. Uh, you know, I've said before, one of the main reasons why we haven't been doing many of the books is we haven't been able to get into the books as much as we have the comics with the two of us. Uh, when we do hit some of these books up, we'll probably invite a couple people on. Like when we did uh, Darth Plagueis and we got, you know, Peter Morrison uh from lightsaber rattling, also one of our Bothans at the Star Wars Report, great reporter, great all-around Star Wars fan. You know, we'll probably have fans and, and other co-hosts and stuff come on for those, so we could get more opinions. Because I know, you know, like like with the Darth Maul lockdown, I am 30 pages away from being done. So by the time this episode airs, the episode that follows it will probably be Darth Maul lockdown. Uh, but again, it gets back to by the time I get done reading it, Nathan's already read it, he summarized it, and he's kind of mainly going off of his summary. So it'd be nice to get more opinions in there. So we're really doing the story as much justice as we do when we handle our comics. I mean, you know, when we grab the comics, one arc of five comics can take two episodes. You know, that's almost three hours of discussion. I love that. You know, I, I love getting into it. I love being able to sit down, go panel to panel and, and run it down. Not only give you guys that don't have the comic an idea of what's going on in it, but also those of you that do have the comic, you can sit down and go through it with us. And I would like to be able to provide that as well when we do the books. And, you know, that's been a, a big fear is with, with Gina and stuff. My reading has been significantly cut into. Uh, you know, I said in 2012, that was the year I fell behind in the EU. I'd been caught up with every book as they came out until that year. Well, that was the year Gina was born. <laughs> You know, I would say as far as uh, some of those older novels to check out, uh, I, in many cases, don't go back and reread a lot of them unless it's absolutely necessary. So I, I often, with the novels, go off of the summaries that I've put together because I think I've got enough details and enough memory of most of it to go there, which means it's when it comes to specific quotes or odd turns of phrase, uh, that's really sort of Mark's territory on those. I don't have usually the time to go back and reread them if we're looking at old things, whereas with the comics, I certainly can most of the time. Um... So some of those, yeah, and I look at that list and I kind of like, ooh, maybe at some point we can do sort of a catch-all episode on novelizations, but also on uh, not so much novelizations as the lead-in novels meant to help promote a film, which is what he's sort of getting at there with Labyrinth of Evil and with The Approaching Storm. But man, I think of Approaching Storm and that was so awful. Um, but anyway, uh, as far as the story group stuff goes, uh, as of now, we know of four members of the story group, and that's only because of the credits to a recent expansion to the Old Republic MMO. 
We've got Leo and Chi, who's still credited as the Keeper of the Holocron. We have Pablo Hidalgo, who is being credited as the Brand Communications Manager. And then you've only got two others. The producer-slash-franchise-synergy person, Diana Williams. And then the director and creative content strategy individual, Carrie Beck. I have never heard outside of those credits of Carrie Beck or Diana Williams before. So, at this point, if that is all that makes up the story team, they're not calling it the story group, but the Lucasfilm story team in those credits, then it seems as though they are sort of uh, working perhaps with people like Dave Filoni, but that Filoni isn't necessarily part of the team, which in part I kind of like the idea of having some higher power being able to say, well, do this, do that, let's make it fit here, as opposed to having the people making those things being the ones directing it, because if you know, say we've got Filoni on the story group, and he wants to do something significantly different than what they're expecting to happen, say, with the sequel trilogy or whatever, or J.J. Abrams doing it on the flip side with the sequel trilogy versus what's in Rebels, and they somehow convince the, the rest of the story group to go along with it, we might have some things that wind up contradicting or wind up not being as synergistic as we're expecting them to be because they're able to sort of push that through the story group. If the story group really is sort of that detached group looking at everything from more of a, a an objective point of view, then hopefully that'll wind up with more of a connective tissue than what we got before. I think they did a fairly good job with the sheer amount of volume of materials out there in the Legends continuity. There are problems, mm-hmm. yes, but relative to the amount of material out there, it's a fairly small amount of problems, albeit some of them being insanely large. Usually ones implemented by Lucas hammering everything else as opposed to Del Rey or Phantom or Dark Horse doing it. Um, so I'm, I'm optimistic about where it's going to go with the story group, but I still want to see something new enough to really justify this change, um, hopefully before we get the sequel trilogy. Give us something really different. Well, that's one of the things about the New Jedi Order that I liked. You know, I mean, it was just 19 books, but they had a plot, you know, and I, coming at what you're saying, I mean, that's what I'm hoping to see moving forward with this too, you know, that each book plays off the next one i i get there are fans out there that like the standalone stories and standalone stories can work they can still find a way to make that happen but at the same time knowing you have a direction and knowing that everything's going to pay in and play into the next story going forward that adds so much to the overall enjoyment of the process and i think i think that with the few names that we do have it gives me enough confidence to that I can trust them without knowing who everyone else is, but I still would like to know. True, yeah. Pablo and, and Leland, great people to have on there. I don't know the other two, but if they're of the same caliber, then uh, should go well. All right, two to go. We have one coming in uh, from Sandro George who says, Hello, Mark and Nathan. Just wondering if you guys are going to review The Star Wars. When I got it, I was so stoked to read it, and it took me a few weeks to find the time to sit down and get into the trade paperback. But as I opened the pages, I was completely taken aback at how different it was. I literally had to empty my mind of everything that I knew as Star Wars. I recently watched the documentary on Netflix of Prophets of Science Fiction, and of course watched the episode on George Lucas. And if this is the rough draft that he took to Fox, no wonder they were so skeptical. My mind was blown, and I'm going to read it again just to let it sink in more. Love the podcast, guys. Hope to hear the review soon so I can follow along, and may the Force be with you. Yeah, I, I think we're going to be definitely hitting that up at some point because of the fact that it draws so many things to the forefront of Star Wars fandom. You know, I mean, me and Riley, we talk about George's vision. You know, Riley's one of the fans that he would 
prefer it to come from George and be George's vision. Whereas I'm one of the ones that are like, hey, George's vision changes all the time. I mean, if we're really going to go with George's vision, then the Star Wars would actually be Star Wars. I mean, you know, canon in Star Wars acts differently than canon anywhere else because of the way Lucas comes at it. But I think by seeing what Star Wars was going to be in the Star Wars, it gives us an idea of, you know, the processes and the directions we could have gone. And I think there's a lot of great discussion to come out of that. I know I got about two issues into it. And I was having the same problem you had i stopped i didn't stop buying it i i kept buying them i have them all and i'm planning on rereading all of them together at once but i wanted to wait till i had the whole collection to do it uh because of that aspect that you were saying I, it was it was too hard to look at it from the alternate universe angle one issue at a time while i was getting the other universe um so i guess in that regard i could see why they want to put legends on hold while canon is coming out because you have so much legends in that regard but at the same time you did have an alternate universe it was one of those you know what would star wars be like kind of scenarios and you have another universe now that in theory just like with the tales comics not the tales line but the uh no, I'm sorry, not Tales, Infinities. Just like the Infinities comics, you have another universe now with alternate possibilities that you could, in theory, go over and, and put out another issue or another arc to. You know, Marvel does stuff like that where, like, they had uh, the Uncanny X-Force and they had an arc where they bounced into another uh, alternate universe. And in that alternate universe, it was called Age of Apocalypse and Wolverine in that universe had become Apocalypse. Well, because of that one arc, in that one comic that jumped over, they created a whole nother comic line called Age of Apocalypse that was all set in that universe. You know, I mean, so I would love to, if they ever get to that point where they're able to come back and, and do stuff with Legends and stuff, see them even do that with the, with the Star Wars, you know? Like, what would a sequel trilogy to George's original look like? I mean, granted, in that case, it probably wouldn't be from George, but hey, it's a great opportunity. Hey, George, do you have any other notebooks out there where when you were doing the first Star Wars, like, did you have an idea for the prequels? Can we look at that? What about for the sequels? Let's check that out, you know? I think it's an opportunity for some really cool stories. And that's the regard of, you know, the standalones that I'm okay with. Like, I'm okay with it being a standalone that's set in an alternate universe that really doesn't tie with anything. Tell me that up front. I'm good to go. Yeah, I think we'll definitely cover it. Uh, it was an odd one to read. I had actually read through all of the early drafts of the Star Wars and what eventually became A New Hope back years ago for the Star Wars Timeline Gold because I went through and put in summaries of each of them into a separate section on the appendices file that goes with the timeline, uh, which, of course, had that new edition, so you might have already picked that up to check that out. It's in the appendices file about halfway down or so. Um but yeah, very, very different material. I must say that I really enjoyed the artwork of the series that Dark Horse put out mm -hmm. adapting it. It was kind of cool to see it on the page visually to go along with what I had thought in my head as reading it. And this, at the same time, I was reading the summaries of those different drafts and how they were different and whatnot in uh, the making of Star Wars. I got the iBook version of that, so it's got all the different uh, enhanced features and everything for it and all. But I gotta say, overall kind of dull. If this had been what Star Wars was in theaters, there wouldn't be a Star Wars franchise of the size and scope that it is today. That story really felt like the standard 1970s Flash Gordon-esque flash-in-the-pan type of thing that would have shown up in theaters. People would have gone to see it. It would have made some money. But would it ever have even gotten a sequel? Honestly, I doubt it. I'm glad that it changed so dramatically 
between that rough draft version and what eventually became Star Wars in theaters. Because in 77, A New Hope without that subtitle was absolutely fundamentally groundbreaking and, and completely changed storytelling in film, both in terms of, of uh, sort of recapturing that type of storytelling from the past, but also the technology involved in making it from a special effects standpoint and whatnot. But what we got with the Star Wars, that version of a Star Wars saga, to me, pretty much fell flat on its face. And I imagine it would have for audiences at the time, or at least wouldn't have had the magic, so to speak, that allowed Star Wars to continue the way that it did. So we'll wind up discussing it at some point, but I don't know. I, I, enthralling is not a word that I would use to refer to it. It's, it's interesting to me almost only in how different it was. If I was reading it as a fun story to read on its own, I would have stopped halfway through and said, screw it. It's just not that good a tale. And the pacing is awful. The pacing mm-hmm. really, uh, it, it's kind of like Phantom Menace in a lot of ways. I think what really got me about Phantom Menace at one point when I looked at the storytelling of it was sometimes the pacing of it uh, was what got me. I mean, a lot of the, I guess all three of the prequels, pacing is often an issue. Um, as opposed to the classic trilogy where pacing wasn't nearly as much of an issue. This one really has got some pacing problems. You know, and going with what Sandro and even Kenny had asked, you know, I've been asked this on Twitter and Facebook, you know, what are we going to be covering going forward? And we will be covering both universes. We will be clarifying when a work falls into Legends and when a work falls into Story Group Canon. Hopefully, as we go forward, we'll get a lot more story group canon type stuff. Uh, you know, the first one coming up will definitely be a new dawn. Um, not sure exactly when we'll be ready for that one to, you know, go into it. I think when it comes to the new story group canon, we'll probably wait a little bit longer to let that be out before we jump right on it. Uh, we haven't really discussed that too much. Uh, so definitely expect to see both universes being represented on our show. We're not going to stick to one or the other. We're definitely not going to limit ourselves in that regard because it's too much fun to ponder about this stuff. And in our fandom, you can't really look at one without looking at the other because we're dealing with it all. And that brings us to our last one. We're going to end on sort of a deep note here. Uh, Not even entirely sure if we're going to reply on this one much or just kind of leave it for the audience to ponder and possibly add their responses to the discussion. It's based on something, oddly enough, that was the beginning of, you may recall, we've talked about the trolls and the troll situations on here before. The first person to be a real troll and come after me over the course of many, many years, which was crazy, uh, really hasn't done so in a while and seems to have sort of changed his ways in that regard and actually stepped up uh, uh, and helped out when the medical bill thing went all crazy. But if I remember right, I think that actually began because of my use of the term parthenogenesis when discussing the idea of virgin birth and stuff in relation to uh, Anakin compared to Jesus in Christianity way back on the original Chrono Radio. And I was told, essentially, how dare I use those big, edumacated words? I'm only using words like that to try to make myself sound big. Uh, ironically, now we return to the same issue, but perhaps without us delving into the terminology and the trolldom here, but something that I think is is going to continue to be Big, interesting topic of discussion within Star Wars, especially now that we can now add the Clone Wars element into the mix of the discussion. Uh, it's coming in uh, from Lenny, and Lenny is... And Lenny says, Hi, whether or not you were serious with your question for those interested in philosophy to give their opinions on Anakin, 
versus Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know your beliefs on the nature of our existence, but I'm a Catholic, so this will be from that perspective. Looking at Anakin and Christ's lives side by side, there's one noticeable similarity in personalities and an instant in their lives. Christ had a selfless love, giving because others needed it, and in the end, that was fulfilled. Anakin, to use how the Wampas Lair put it, has a selfish love. He loves Padme because he needs her and is very possessive of that. The similarity is what I would call their agony in the garden moment, that being Christ's literal agony in the garden, and that period in episode 3 from Anakin alone in the council chamber to his act against Windu. Both during these times were afflicted with great pain and fear. Christ so much that he cried blood, literally or figuratively. Now, here's the difference. In this sense, even if it meant failing, it would have been if Christ had thrown all his might at those trying to kill him, but instead, he gave his selfless love to us. Anakin was overcome by his selfish love, feeling that he needed Padme alive no matter what, even if it meant failing. Anakin then continued to fail and fail and fail again, and then you have that scene where you see him crying, which I interpret as him looking at all he's done and seeing his failures. But then he pushes it down inside him. In the comic The Lost Command, it seems these things resurface. He looks at the savior he could have been, all the good he could have done, and all the happiness he could have brought, not just to him, but to all. He then kind of pulls a Judas Iscariot when he's offered forgiveness. He feels he cannot be forgiven. Feels he has done so much that he is beyond love now, and that he can never go back. He feels that he cannot even forgive himself. He then exploded and almost kills himself, but when he survives, he pushes it back down again until he finally realizes he cannot fail again and gives selflessly, not selfishly, for Luke, which ultimately costs him his life. And to be quite honest, I think facing Palpatine would have killed him. Now I take this all in as what Christ could have done and how selfish love only leads to pain while selfless will bring joy. My apologies if this does not answer the question. Uh, if not, I wouldn't mind taking another crack at it. I would also be interested if anybody else responded and what they had to say. Lenny. Well, I like the idea of, of leaving this one open for another feedback. Uh, I have some things I want to say, but for the most part, I actually am agreeing with you a lot. Uh, you know, your point of view on Anakin during episode three, the film, seems dead on. You know, him not feeling worthy of the love uh, or the forgiveness, that kind of stuff. The one thing it draws a question to me, though, is. Anakin started out as a selfless love in episode one. You know, his mom talks about how he gives without no think, you know, no thought of himself. When did that change? Uh, you know, I mean, legends, we've seen aspects of it and where they kind of given us that. But in the canon aspect that, you know, earlier we were talking about, you know, retreading ground. That would be a story I'd like to see in canon. You know, I mean, I, I could care less about the B wings right now flying through Return of the Jedi. Cool story. Don't get me wrong, but. That is a story I would like to know. What made Anakin choose to start being more selfish versus selfless? Because in episode one, he definitely was presented by his mom as someone who was selfless. And that was part of the draw for Qui-Gon, too. So somewhere that definitely changed. Because I I'm agreeing with you on this. I just want to know what it is that changed Anakin. I would love to see that. Yeah, this would make a good one if we have some other folks writing in uh, with thoughts on this. Especially, we got some folks out there, I'm sure, who take uh, another stab at this, dealing with the, the Christian side of this. I'm personally 
uh, Protestant, but I don't go more denominational than that. I, I've taken the online things that make me suggest that I'd be more Baptist or Lutheran or whatever. Um, but I'm Protestant myself, uh, just in the general sense here. Uh, but I know we've got some folks out there, uh, probably folks like Andrew Gilbertson and Chris Walker, who might be able to take a more theological approach to discussing this, uh, or Luke Van Horn uh, from a philosophical and theological standpoint on this one. Um, but I would just say that I agree. I think it's a selfless versus selfish love issue. Lucas got into the idea of how uh, Anakin's love turns about essentially controlling, about owning and such, which is definitely a selfish form of love, which is what uh, drives him you know, to fall apart. I've always found that one of the most interesting things about Anakin is the psychology of the character because of how he starts out young, winds up twisted, and has to deal with things like always being told he's the chosen one, yet being held to the same standards as others for the most part. Getting close to the dark side, but oh, it's okay because he's Anakin. Letting him train later and how that changes his psychology. Losing his mother and not being able to have gone back for her at some point to try to save her like he had hoped to do once he left to join the Jedi in the first place, and so on, and so on, and so on. Um, there is so much about Anakin's psychology that I find interesting that I, it'd be interesting to sort of put that into a perspective of where those parallels are religiously for Christians and other religious figures, um, and say, okay, what is it that makes this character who he is and makes him unusual? Where does he deviate from those archetypes? Um, you see those archetypes in a lot of films. Uh, Neo from The Matrix especially jumps to the forefront of the mind. But where do the deviations happen? Where do we as, as people who are fans or as the creators behind these types of stories, where do we create those deviations? Do we do it on purpose? And if we don't, if our deviations that, that start out with an archetype uh, that is paralleling some type of religious figure, whether it's uh, Christ, Buddha, whoever. If we start a story like that, then change where that character goes, like with Anakin turning him into Vader instead of making him a savior for all of the galaxy. Then, if we aren't doing that on purpose, what psychologically within us causes us to do that, and what does it tell us about us as creative individuals or as fans interpreting the franchises that we love that cause us to deviate, you know, at what point within that story do we deviate and why, essentially? Where do we look at the parallels and at what point do the parallels go off the rails and we're okay with that? And what makes us okay with that? And so I guess the psychology side of this, as much as the theology side of this, is what you know I find interesting, both of them together. But I guess we'll see if others write in and we'll see if this pops up on a future feedback episode again. Yeah, it's definitely one of the funner things is to discuss things like that that really have no answer. You know, I think, I, I don't know. I mean, Nathan, I, I'm pretty sure you're with me on that. I mean, the, the biggest joy in our fandom is the discussion of what it is we love. And sometimes it's even what we dislike because through what we dislike, we discover what we love as well. But for me, it's, it's just learning what those passions are in my fellow fans. That's what makes this such a rewarding enterprise. Song, I'm gonna take you
Now that about wraps up this fan feedback episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you all once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. And remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website's second airborne division at www.starwarsreport.com. Just look for the second airborne tab. Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It is the best way to interact with us. It's our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars and or Legends questions, questions or you just want to comment about a past episode fire off you can always email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com now lastly before we go we wanted to mention to you our audible trial if you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starwarsreport you get a free run of audible.com to see what they're all about our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles you can explore the star wars expanding universe genre without being stuck with the book you flat out hate because audible members can exchange any book within 12 months with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making that switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. It was long. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening, and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that we might start a company that sells audio files of dead air and call it inaudible.com. I think we can market that. What are the odds that I will finish 30 pages in a week? In a week? Yeah. We shall see. I don't know. His argument was that with the never Maybe when we're much older and cursing the names of the would-be directors for from our rock Maybe when we're much older and cursing the names of the would-be son of a bitch. It's against you. Apparently. Uh, because it, I, I see that video and I'm remembering the son of a bitch. And I'll be afraid with Disney over Star Wars and such that we might wind up with something where, you know, uh, Luke is having to decide or... Let me say it again. I'm totally f***ing up. You're going to hate editing this episode. I can tell. Um, <laughs> probably because at the time, the Bane from Phantom... Son of a f***. I wonder if I'm getting a migraine because I'm getting my words all jumbled and sh I ask because there are some that I say differently. So I ask, I hear I say that I say differently, and I mispronounce the word differently. Are that this will be? My expectations are. Sorry, it's enough. If you're going to send an email, use punctuation.
Well, that's a lie. No. Oh my god, I don't even know when my kid was born. That's getting cut out. Holy crap, she's two. So no, that makes her. No, no I'm right. Right? Holy sh. <laughs> Why am I drawing a blank on my own kid's birthday? This is gonna be a great fing blooper. <sighs> yeah, she's 2012. Alien in the future. Dude, yeah, it is. Okay. He loves part. Padre? Padme. In the comic, The Last Command, it seems these things resurface. He. The Last Command? The Lost Command. Oh, okay, because he says Last Command. I was like, what? Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention you our sponsor. <laughs> now, lastly, before we go. Try Audible, bitch! Yes. Go to Audible. Like it. Love it. Put in our name. Get some money! Something! Sh I don't know. <laughs> Punctuation, damn it!